So should I go to college or not? Where should I go to college? Uh, what should I major in in college? Uh, should I date this certain person? Should I marry this certain person? Should we take this new job and move out of state? Which home should we buy? Should we have a baby? Should I leave the company and start my own business? Should we have another baby? Which house should we buy? Again, how many babies should we have? What is best for our parents? Should we let our daughter date? Should I think of retiring? Should we move out of our house into a condo? Should, we, should I move into that, that retirement home? And on and on and on they go. They are, of course, the questions of life. They are, of course, the questions of life that we ask repeatedly from the, oh, I don't know, about the time we start getting close to graduating high school, we start with these really pressing questions. And it's, it's, it's really, they, they really center on, well, I guess they center on the question of life for us as Christians anyway, and that is what is God's will for my life. You know, there's this game, maybe you played the game Life, it goes back decades right, classic game, you move around the board and you, and you get married and you, you have a family, you, you know, you have kids and you, you, you make money and, and you get all the way to retirement. And Sometimes they take these games and they give you a Christianized version of them and I thought, well, what, are, what if they Christianized the game of life? And, and it was the same thing, only it was just called what is God's will for my life and you went around the board and each time you had a big decision you had to determine well, what's God's will for my life in this circumstance or in this situation what is God's will for my life as we continue this series this new year series pursuit chasing after the heart of God we want to talk today about this issue of discovering God's will for my life a question we all wrestle with and to some degree we should be concerned about. And I wonder though sometimes if we don't make this question a little more difficult than it really needs to be. A guy asked me at work this week, he said, so what's your sermon on this Sunday, Bill? And I said, well, it's discovering God's will for your life. And his response was, whoa, whoa. Boy, how long's your sermon gonna be on Sunday? You know, it's like, like this is a really difficult thing to, to wrap your head around and to, and to answer and I don't know if it necessarily is. Let me give you a foundational verse here. Then we'll have a central passage and a big idea, and we're going to walk through this this morning. But here's a verse we all are probably somewhat familiar with. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And that verse underscores today's big idea. It's a very simple big idea. It's a big idea I hope we can remember as we leave here. You can remember this maybe the rest of your life, and every time a big decision comes up, you'll remember this. God's will is found in God's word. That's pretty simple, right? Turn to your neighbor and say, God's will is found in God's word. We need to remind ourselves of that and reinforce this very simple but big idea. God's will is found in God's word. Now, here's a note about God's word this morning. Let's just give, get you a couple notes to set the stage here. God has made us all in his image. We are all made in God's image, meaning God has a universal will for our lives. By that, I simply mean that in the scriptures, there is something that God would say, this is my will for your life, and it's the same for every one of us in this room. 
We all have the same will in some sense. God has the same will for every one of our lives because we're all created in his image. But it is true that God made us all uniquely and he has a personal will for our lives. He has some specific things he wants us to do and some specific things he wants us to be about. And that's the challenge in question that we wrestle with. Well, what is the personal will for my life? And we're gonna see how these two, really the universal will and personal will of God really actually connect up for us this morning. Now, Proverbs chapter 6, King Solomon, the son of David, he writes uh, three verses here. We're going to look at them, and we're going to kind of focus on this this morning, especially verse 22. My son, keep your father's commandment, and forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always. Tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. When you awake, they will talk with you. For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching a light and the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. And the verse I really want us to hone in on today is the verse there in the middle, verse 22. When you walk, they, God's commandments, his words, his instructions, his promises, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. When you wake, they will talk with you. And we're going to look at that today and find three simple things we need to know about discovering God's will. How can I discover God's will for my life? And, and it doesn't have to be as difficult as we make it out to be. Uh, I would I think by the end of this message, hopefully we can see that. Not that there's not going to be issues in life that we'll wrestle with, but here's what we need to know. Three things. First one is this. Okay, number one, to find God's will for your life, walk in God's will every day. You want to find God's will for your life, walk in God's will every day. And so that's, there's that idea, that personal will and that universal will. There's this universal will, there's this will in God's word. It's, it's not debatable. This is God's will for your life that you do certain things and you live a certain way. And so just keep that in mind. The Bible's teachings, commands, and promises, they will all lead us. Here's what, here's what he says, when you walk, they will lead you. God's teachings, his commands, his promises, they will lead us, they will guide us through life, they will guide us to an abundant life, they will guide us to a meaningful existence, they will guide us to the point that we can find actually both God's universal and personal will for our lives. God's word, uh, here, here's the thing, there's a plan for your life and it, is, and it is in God's word that will direct us to live out God's purpose and fulfill God's plan. So here's the reality. There is a very direct will of God in the scriptures. Very direct. I'll give you an example. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. That is the very direct will of God for your life he goes on that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter because the lord is an avenger in all these things as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you for god has not called us for impurity but in holiness therefore whoever disregards this disregards not man but god who gives his holy spirit to you 
So it is God's will that we live a sanctified life. What does sanctified mean? Think about that again. It's God's will I live a sanctified life. Well, sanctified is really related to that word holy we talked about a couple weeks ago. You could look at it like this. Holy is the adjective. That's my position. I am holy uh, and I am set apart. Sanctified is the verb. It's the process. It's what God is doing to make me holy. So the minute I'm saved, I am sanctified. That's the process. I am made holy and I am set apart to God. You might be able to see it this way. If I am being sanctified, I'm being set apart. If I am holy, I have been set apart. So when we're saved, we're sanctified, we're set apart, we're holy. We are, we, we are pure and righteous like Christ is. But then as I go through my life, God is sanctifying me, setting me apart in the sense that he's revealing his holiness in me. And he wants people to see that I am holy, that I am set apart. Now this is not in a sanctimonious sort of way, that I am, look at me, I'm holier than you are, I'm better than you are, no. But that I am other than you are, that I have Christ in me. And it affects the way I live my life. So let's be honest, to live a sanctified and set apart life then, there are some jokes we will not tell, there are some words we will not use, there are some movies we will not watch, there are some activities we will not engage in. Not because we're legalistic purists, but because we are set apart, we're holy. That's the reality. We're living lives that are set apart. Now how, here's the thing, how do I know if something is God's will or not, how do I know when a movie isn't the best movie to watch? It's really quite simple. God's will is found in God's word. That, that's kind of where it starts. If you are in the word of God and if you're in communion with the Holy Spirit, he'll answer those questions for you. He will. It may take time to become sensitive to the Holy Spirit to the point that you recognize, hey, I don't want you to watch that movie. And this isn't about what a movie is rated. This is just simply about what does God want us to do? What does the Holy Spirit want us to do with certain things? Think about this. The Thessalonians passage we just read there, it talks about abstaining from sexual immorality. It talks about controlling our body and avoiding the passion of lust. Now, I realize it doesn't talk about movies in that. Anywhere. Talk about movies in there anywhere? No, it doesn't. But what if a movie contains all those things? What if a movie incites us and stirs up those lusts in our flesh? Well, then maybe that's a movie we need to avoid. That's the universal will of God. What's God's will for my life? To, to live a set-apart life. And, and I've been there. I've been at work, and someone tells a joke at work, and they're all laughing, and, and I hear the voice inside that says, yeah, that's kind of funny, but yeah, it really not funny i mean really shouldn't laugh at that or i'm really good at comebacks you know i'm good at those one-liners and those comebacks and those puns and sometimes i'll get a really funny thought in my mind in a conversation and the god's like yeah i wouldn't say that's kind of a little bit little bit all across the line a little off color um and i bite my tongue and I think oh that was so funny <laughs> it is god's will that we live spirit-filled lives Here's the passage, Ephesians 5. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. What is God's will? That we, we are controlled by the Holy Spirit. And, and He will help us when we want to know well, should I watch this movie or should I engage in this activity or should I use this word or should I make this comment? Holy Spirit will be there to control us so that we're not controlled by our flesh. That's the reality. It is God's will that we live a fruitful life, 
Remember these words in John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. And we learn in, in John 15, you read it, that God goes through our life. You know what he does? He goes through our life and prunes things off of uh, the, 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 the uh, branch. Prunes things out of our lives. It's painful, but he cuts them away and he prunes them away. Why? So we can bear more fruit. So we can go from bearing fruit to more fruit to much fruit there in verse 5. Because it's God's will that we live a fruitful life. And it's God's will that we live a purposeful life. To live a life of purpose. Proverbs 19, 21. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. And God wants us to live lives of purpose. In fact, in many ways, the church is supposed to be a church that lives and exists on purpose. And in many ways, the church is supposed to help people learn and discover what's my purpose in life? How do I live a life of purpose? Now, you, you want to know how you're doing at living a life of purpose? Let me give you a short quiz this morning. And I have a hard copy if you want one of these. But just understand this that no one in the world is here by accident. I don't care how you were born. I don't care if you were the product of some violent crime or rape, you know. God in his foreknowledge knew every person that would be born. And the Bible says he knit them together in his mother's womb. So meaning each person, God gave them a unique personality and gave them gifts and gave them a soul. And, and so every person here, no one here is here by accident. So we shouldn't live by accident. We should live on purpose. So here's a, here's a quick test that will help us, the life purpose test. And it's real simple. How much of your life do you live on accident? You're not an accident, so live. Don't live on accident. But, and this will be sobering, but it will show us. So, the life purpose test. Do you only read your Bible accidentally? Oh, I happen to read my Bible by accident today. Do you only pray for your family accidentally? Oh, I happen to pray for my wife and kids today. Do you only defeat temptation accidentally? Wow, I actually didn't give in to that temptation that time. Wow, that was an accident. Do you only make it to church accidentally? When God wants us to come and fellowship and, and commune with. Do you only give financially accidentally? Because God wants us all to be givers because he is a giver. Do you only share the gospel accidentally? Wow, I happened to share my faith last week with somebody. That doesn't happen very often. Wow, that was an accident. Do you only communicate your needs and your hurts accidentally? Do you just kind of hide stuff, everything inside and act like your life's all perfect and you're not very authentic and real with people is there nobody in your life that you open up to? And do you only use your spiritual gifts accidentally? And do you only express worship accidentally? And do you only thank God accidentally? That's the life purpose test and kind of sobering. But if and you want a hard copy, you can take one home and you can look at that and study that because all of those things are God's will for our life. What is God's will for my life? Well, there it is. And that's what we are faced with all the time. It is God's will that we live our life on purpose and not simply by accident. That's the reality. So, to find God's will for your life, first thing is walk in God's will every day. Walk in the universal will of God, the direct will of God every day. That's the first thing. Here's the second thing. Look at the second thing. God is working out His will in your life at this very moment. Here's what Solomon says, when you lie down, they will watch over you. 
What's Solomon saying? Okay, we all lay our head down on the pillow at night, right? We lay our head down on the pillow and uh, our thoughts start racing. I'll lay down sometimes, you know, I'm, I'm working on maybe a you know, sermon and I'm wrestling with a verse or I'm wrestling with an idea or a thought and I'll lay down, literally lay down and my, head, my mind's thinking and like five minutes later I jump up and I run out and I, I write down this thought that I got because it's like, boom, that's what I was trying to figure out. Well, you know what else happens? Sometimes I lay down in bed at night. You do this too. I lay down on my back and then I lay down on my side and then I lay down on my other side and then I lay down on my stomach and I'm tossing and turning and wrestling with some issue in my mind, some question. And the reality is when you lie down, they will watch over you. God's promises, commands, his, his instruction. God is working out his will in your life at this very moment, and we need to be aware of that. So here's the first thing you need to know. You can have peace. Three things you need to know when you're laying in bed at night, tossing and turning. Know this, that we can have peace in our life while trying to figure out God's will for our life. You actually can. We can have peace in our life while we're wrestling with issues, trying to figure out what is God's will for my life. I can have peace. I can have peace. In fact, we need to know that the word of God, which has the will of God, also has the promise of God that God not only, ha- not only has a will for your life, but he's working that will out in your life. He is. Be aware of that. God is working out his will in your life. We can have peace in our life. Look at this passage here, Matthew 6, 25. Therefore I tell you, writes Jesus, his great famous Sermon on the Mount. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. We lay in bed at night and we wrestle with these things and his, you don't have to worry about what you're going to eat. You don't have to worry about uh, you know, what you're going to wear. You don't have to worry about which house it is you're supposed to buy. You can have peace. God will direct you. God will lead you. You'll figure it out. The, 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 when you're wrestling between two jobs, you can have peace. God will let you know if you walk in fellowship with him and just know that God is working out his will in your life. There's two things here he says that will help us when we're, we're kind of struggling with this issue of peace. He says, seek first the kingdom of God. And what does the kingdom of God do? The kingdom of God puts everything else in our life in perspective. And this, this little temporary home we're gonna live in or this temporary job we're gonna take is nothing compared to the eternal kingdom of God in all of its glory and you just focus on the kingdom of God and all the other stuff in life puts it in perspective and then he also says seek first the righteousness of God what's that well instead of just looking at a situation saying well what's the right or wrong decision to make here what's the right or wrong house to buy what's the right or wrong job to take we look at it and we say well what's the right what what would Jesus does the righteous thing what would he do in this situation What's the righteous decision that Jesus would make in this situation? And it gets our focus in a little different place. The righteous thing. Jesus would forgive that person. Jesus would be more generous. Jesus would be more patient. He wouldn't rush into a decision. Christ is our life. And and we just need to learn to focus a little more 
on him. Your second thing, so you can have peace. Second thing when you're tossing and turning in bed at night um, is, is this. Second thing to know is this. God has a will for us that he is working out in us. God has a will for us that he is working out in us. He is at this very moment, even as we're laying there in bed. Listen to what it says. This is the promise that can give us peace. It's in Philippians 2. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work of his good pleasure. Philippians 2, 12 and 13, powerful verses telling us that God has a will for our life and God is working that will out. He is. God has a will for us that he is working out in us, even as we sleep, even as we wrestle. And we need to know that. You see, God has a will for you that he is working out in you even as you rest your head on that pillow and he will tell you what you need to know when you need to know it. You just have to trust him. A couple of other translations of that verse 13. It is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. Some say pleasure. Some translations say purpose. God has this purpose. It's a good purpose. And he's unfolding it in your life it is God who is at work within you giving you the will and the power to achieve his purpose now I get it I am told to work out my salvation it's not like I'm just kind of this passive bystander in the process I'm engaged I'm I'm doing the things God asks me to do I'm giving God the freedom to do his thing and to work out his will within me So it's not that I'm just this passive bystander. But God has a will for me. He is working out in me. And here's the third thing we need to know. When you toss and turn in bed, just know this. God has a will for us that he is willing us to do. I think that is fascinating. God has a will for us that he is, it says, he is willing us to do. He is giving you the will and the power to achieve his purpose. Think about that. God has a will for me that he wants to work out in me and he is actively willing me to let him do his will in my life. Does that make sense? Here's what you have to understand. You know what the biggest obstacle to to, to you doing God's will is? The biggest obstacle to doing his universal or personal will? Biggest obstacle is us. It is. We just need to get out of the way and give God the freedom to do what he wants to do. So God is willing you He's motivating you. He's encouraging you. This is the difference between willpower in my flesh and spirit power. The Holy Spirit working in me. Remember when Jesus was going to the cross and, he, and, and then he went to the cross and what did he pray before he went to the cross in the garden? Not my will, but your will be done. But then he said something else. He said the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The spirit will will us to do those things that God wants us to do. The Spirit will 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 us, will motivate us. The Spirit will give us the will to win. Motivate us, encourage us, challenge us to carry out God's will. So He's not just working out His will in us, He's willing us to do it. Philippians 1 6, one of the verse here, just note this. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. God has a will for us that has a day of completion. There is a day when all the work will be done. 
Now, this does not mean we're going to reach our fullest potential on earth. Uh, the way I really, the more I understand this and look at this, I think we are here on earth, we're developing our character. We are, we are bearing fruit and growing fruit. We're, we're carrying out God's will and uh, the, the, that we will take with us through eternity. And I will never do everything that I could do in this life for eternity. But what I do here in this world, I take with me into eternity. And there will be a day when the work will be complete, when God will be done. And I won't, I won't go to heaven and be discouraged or have remorse that I didn't do more. But I will have been able to do more. I will have been able to take more fruit to heaven. It's true. But there is a day of completion when, when God will be done. And, and until that day, God is working in your life every single day till the day you pass away or till the day he raptures you to glory. So just know that. Even as you lay in bed at night, God is at work in your life. Number three, here's the third lesson this morning. God's will is a journey, not a destination. God's will is a journey, not a destination. Now what is Solomon saying here? Note what he says. When you awake, they will talk with you. What is Solomon saying? Solomon's kind of pushing the narrative I always push here, that God's word is a person. That God's word is alive. That God's word speaks to us. So just think about that. Just think about that reality. That God, through his commands and his instructions and his promises, God will speak to us. And God's will is not so much a destination as it is a journey. God has given us all his word which contains his will. What God doesn't give us, you know what God doesn't give us? He does not give us a personal life manual. He doesn't give us something that says, this is God's will for Tootie, or this is God's will for Lori, or God's will for Jenna, or Titus, or God's will for Evan, or God's will for for, uh, Joanne, or God's will for Melissa. There's not some manual we open up and it says, okay, when you are 17, when you're 18, you're going to go to this college, and when you're 25, you're going to marry this person, and at 29, you're going to have this child, and at 30, you're going to take this job, and, and, and it doesn't tell us all our whole life and when we're going to die, and there's no life manual like that. How many would like a manual like that that told you everything you needed to do, right? Wouldn't that be great? You just open it up and you, everything's spelled out for you. No questions. Never have to wrestle with what is God's will for my life. Wow, there it is. That's exactly what God wants me to do. How many would like one of those manuals? Well, that's the problem. If you had one, it wouldn't be any different than the Bible. It would require two things. Look at this passage, Proverbs chapter 3. This is what Jenna read for us so beautifully earlier. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace, they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Here's the verses we all love. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. If you had a manual like that, it would require two things that the Bible requires. Number one, God's will requires what? Our trust. I have to trust him. I have to trust him. And when he says, okay, at age 30, you're gonna take this job and I'm 30 and I'm like, but there's this job and it pays twice as much. What are you thinking, God? It's like, wait a minute. 
And it's that way with his, with, because what God puts in his word, his universal will is there to protect us and, and to give us the most abundant life we can know. We have to trust him. God says, forgive that person. And we're like, seriously? I mean, do you know what they did to me? God's like, I, I want you to be patient with that coworker. And we're like, seriously? I mean, they drive me crazy. <laughs> I mean, seriously? God says, I want you to reach out to that hurting person. I want you to invite that person that's hurting, they're broke, to, to church. And you're like, seriously? They're not gonna wanna come to church with me and I'm just gonna be embarrassed. And so God has a will for us in the scriptures and the reality is it takes trust. And so often God comes to us and says, trust me. And sometimes I say, well, I can't trust you with that, Lord. I can trust you with all this stuff in my life, but there's this, there's this little room and this is all the stuff that I can't trust you with because you just don't know what's best for me over here. And then the other thing, if you have this life manual, the other thing it would require, it would require trust. The other thing in this verse is that God's will is all about his lordship because the issue of trust really comes down to have I really let God be the Lord of my life? It's, it's, it's this issue of lordship. In verse 5, he says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. That means with all of your emotions. That means when you lay in bed at night and you toss and you turn and, you, and you're wrestling with these issues and what do I do in this circumstance and that? What do I do with this person and, and what do I do with that bill and what do I do with this opportunity? And we wrestle with all these things and, and he says, trade in your doubts, questions and fears for peace and how do you do that? You make Christ Lord of your life. You say, Lord, you are the Lord of my life. And I'll trust whatever you tell me to do. I will do it because I believe you have what's best for me. Let me take you to one last passage. So I heard this recently and just was so blown away by this, by the, this passage and the way it was explained. But think about this, about lordship a minute. Prayer is us talking to God, right? And then the word is God talking to us. And then meditation is us listening to God. And then finally, Lordship is us obeying God. It's when I, uh, okay, whatever you tell me. I will read your word. I will meditate on your word. And when I know what it is you want me to do, I'll, I'll do it. I, I, whatever it is, I will do it. I will obey you regardless, and I will hold nothing back. So there's this great passage in Isaiah chapter 28. <clears throat> and here's the context in Isaiah 28, is that God comes to Israel and Ephraim, they're the northern kingdoms, and he's speaking through Isaiah, and he has an issue with them at this time, and the issue is, they've got an issue, they're kind of consumed with alcohol. Reminds me last week, we talked about the rich young ruler, remember? And he came to Jesus and said, what do I have to do to receive you know, eternal life? And really what he's saying is, what do I have to do to have more of you? And God says, well, keep the commandments. And he said, well, I'm doing all that. I'm keeping all the commandments. And then God says, well, sell everything you have and come and follow me. Detach from the world and attach yourself to me. Come and follow me. And, of course, the rich young ruler, what did he do? He walked away very sad because he had great possessions because he, he just could not attach, emotionally detach from those possessions. He couldn't not trust in those possessions. So here God comes to, to Israel and says, hey, I've got these, this great life for you. I've got all these wonderful things I want to do for you. I've got one issue right now with you. And, and, and the, their issue, kind of ironically, was of all things, was an issue of alcohol. And Isaiah 28, 7 and 8, listen to this. 
These also reel with wine and stagger with strong drink. The priest and the prophet reel with strong drink. They are swallowed by wine. They stagger with strong drink. They reel in vision. They stumble in giving judgment. For all the tables are full of filthy vomit with no spaces left. And so they're, they're consumed. This isn't just, you know, drinking a little in moderation. They're consumed with alcohol. It's their life. And the priest and the prophet are drinking and it's clouding their judgment. How can they be rulers? Can you imagine if you went to court and the judge was drunk and he was supposed to pass judgment on you? You'd be like, wait a minute. That's what's kind of going on here. And, so, and, and, and then the reality is the priest and the prophet were not supposed to drink when they were in duty or on duty. And so all this, this is going on, he has this issue with them because they are so consumed and so dependent and so reliable, reliant on this alcohol. They're finding their security in their alcohol. And so here's what goes on. Here's what he says. To whom will he teach knowledge? To whom will he explain the message? Those who are weaned from the milk, those who take from the breasts. And so he's, he's, he's going to speak to them. And then this is their response. This is how they respond to him when he comes to them and says, hey, I have an issue with you here. You need to stop getting drunk and you need to use your head. And, 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 and they, their response is for it is precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little. It doesn't make much sense, does it? Uh, let, me give it to you, to, let me give it to you here in the... Um, okay, what's my... Let me give it to you here in... Um, Let me read it off my page because this is acting up. The NIV says, do this, do that, a rule for this, a rule for that, a little here, a little there. Now the key to this verse is found in the Hebrew translation and I got this from Pastor Jim Samara of Calvary Indianam. What, what a fascinating uh, account he did of this uh, passage. He says that um, when you look at this in the, in the Hebrew, there's, it's really hard to translate. In fact, there's no real exact words here to translate this out. Um, literally, this is what it says in the Hebrew, if you read this in the Hebrew. Sav l'saw, sav l'saw, kav l'kaw, kav That's what they're saying to God. God comes to them and says, I have an issue with you. You're too dependent on this alcohol and I have this beautiful life for you and you're not trusting in me. And they come back, sav l'saw, sav l'saw, kav l'kaw, now, what does that mean to you and me? Well, Jim Samara gives us his, his translation of which I think is pretty fascinating because he says that really there, there's really no good Greek interpretation here. And to put this into English, you've got to come up with some words. And so this is how he says what it really means. Sometimes our response to God is simply this. God comes to us and says, hey, I have an issue with you. And we're like, blah, 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 whatever. That's kind of our response to God. God says, I really have an issue with something in your life. This is my will for your life. And we're like, blah, 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 whatever. God says, I don't want you dating or marrying that non-Christian. And we're like, blah, 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 whatever. God says, I don't want you consuming all that alcohol. It's clouding your judgment. And we say, blah, 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 whatever. God says, I don't want you hanging out with those friends. They are not good for you. They're not healthy for you. And we're like, yeah, blah, 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 whatever. God says, I don't want you harboring all that anger and bitterness. And, and, and I want you to forgive that person. And we're like, blah, 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 whatever. You know where I really hear this really ring true? It's, it's the person who hears the gospel and keeps rejecting it. 
The person that hears the gospel over and over again and the person that hears, yeah, Christ died for my sins, I need to, for, I need to repent and, and I need to receive his forgiveness and I'll go to heaven and the, and the person hears it and they're like, blah, 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 whatever. I've heard it a hundred times. I don't want what you're selling. And so the point here with Israel is that God is saying that he comes to Israel and says, I have this issue with you. You're not trusting me. Your life's messed up. And, and he spells out what's wrong with them and Israel just looks at him and says, blah, 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 whatever. And they just blow him off. And the dangerous thing is that sometimes we can do that to God. Sometimes we can pray and we can say, Lord, I want to know your will. What's your will for my life? What do you want me to do? And we're really, we act so sincere and so serious. And then God tells us and we're like, yeah, I've heard that before. Blah, 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 whatever. And we just kind of blow God off. So how does God respond? This is what's fascinating. How does God respond to these people when they do this? Here's what the response is. Here's the response. And, and, and I think here, here's the point. Here's, uh, and this is acting strange. I don't know why it's doing this. But sometimes when we can't seem to hear from God, it's not that he isn't answering. It's that we don't like his answer. Is that not true sometimes in our lives? We're asking God, what do you want me to do? I remember the time, I remember the story about the guy that, that said, you know what? He was going on a diet and he was going to get any donuts that day on the way to work. I'm not going to get any donuts. I, mean, I told you this one before. I'm not going to do it. He says, I'll tell you, when I drive by, if there's a parking spot open, I'll stop and get some donuts. But if there's no parking spot, it's a sign from God not to have any donuts. And he said, I only had to drive around five times and there was an open spot, so I got some donuts. <laughs> Sometimes the answer God gives us, we just don't like the answer. It's like, I don't want to hear that. Don't tell me that. I don't want to do that. It's not that God isn't speaking to us. It's that we're not really listening. So here's, here's how God responds to those people, Isaiah 28. Very well then, with foreign lips and strange tongues, God will speak to this people. To whom he said, this is the resting place, let the weary rest. And this is the place of repose, but they would not listen. God's offering them rest and he's offering them abundance and everything they could want and they're just, they're not going to listen. So then the word of the Lord to them will become, do this, do that, a rule for this, a rule for that. A little here, a little there, so that as they go, they will fall backward, they will be injured and snared and captured. And what is God's response back to the person? Blah, 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 whatever. I mean, really, if you don't care, if you don't want to hear from me, if you really don't want to know my opinion, fine, whatever. And eventually God just gives you what you want. Gives you what you want. So back to a personal life manual with your name on it, spelling out every detail of your life. It will require the same level of trust and the same level of lordship. That if you really want to know God's will for your life, at some point you got to say, Lord, you're my Lord and I'll do whatever you want me to do. I will do it. Even if I don't want to do it, I will do it. Because I believe that you do know what is best for me the truth is god's will for us is found in his word to us we simply have to surrender to his lordship we have to trust in his word and surrender to his lordship and he will help us to walk in his will now what does this mean how about if we identify the ultimate universal will of god if we were going to boil down and say what's the ultimate universal will of god i think it just might be this 
it is, um, God's will is about pursuing an intimate relationship with him. Well, God wants more than anything from you. He wants you to glorify him with your life. He wants you to serve him with your life. Okay. But you know what? It, it comes down, his ultimate will is about pursuing an intimate relationship with him. You know why? Because he is the vine and we are the branches and apart from him, we can do nothing. I can't bring him glory if I'm not in an intimate relationship. I can't serve him. I can't do his will. I can't carry out anything he wants me to do if I am not intimately connected to the vine. He is the vine. We are the branches. Understand that God's will is a journey. It's not a destination. It's, it's walking with God every day. It's God speaking into your life in every crevice of your life constantly. And it's about us surrendering to Him and whatever He asks of us. In his novel, Jaber Crowell, the Kentucky farmer and, and writer Wendell Berry, has his character, Jaber, talk about the quiet work of God's guidance in our lives. Often, I have not known where I was going until I was already there. I have had my share of desires and goals, but my life has come to me, or I have gone to it mainly by way of mistakes and surprises. Often, I have received better than I deserved. Often, my faintest hopes have rested on bad mistakes. I am an ignorant pilgrim crossing a dark valley and yet for a long time looking back I have been unable to shake off the feeling that I have been led. Make of that what you will. And that's the reality that God is working out his will even when we're struggling with sin. When I, when I talk about blah, 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 whatever, I'm not talking about, you know, we have a, an issue in our life and a sin we struggle with and we're trying to work it out and we go to God all the time and say, I'm sorry. You know, I'm, you know it's about an attitude of our heart talking about us just really just simply blowing God off and saying well I can't do that and I won't do that and I'm not willing to do that and I would challenge you to look through these questions there are a pile of questions there you can process yourself this week that you can work through and is there anywhere in your life that you are saying blah 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 whatever don't, don't ask me to do that again because I just can't forgive that person. I just can't let go of that hurt. I, I just can't take up that ministry. I just can't do whatever it is that seems impossible. That's the reality. So this past Friday night, Wayne and myself, we did this prayer service here at the church. We were here from 11 o'clock till 5 o'clock and we prayed at the church and, and, and honestly we didn't pray for six straight hours. We prayed for about three of those hours. Actually doing the clock about three of those hours. We, we mixed in times. We broke away and got scripture and, and meditated on scripture and came back and, and prayed through some of that scripture. But I was thinking about why did we spend this past Friday night at the church or this past Saturday morning from 11 to 5. First it because, because it was God's will God's, God asked us to. The second reason we were here, and, and the reason, the way, this, the, the way this unfolded is that we are going through this walking as Jesus walk Sunday school class, and we were both struck by Jesus spending all night in prayer before he chose the 12 disciples. And, and so I just suggested it to Wayne. I said, hey, you know, what if, what if we did that? And he was really receptive, and, and, uh, and we're going to do it again probably, and anybody that wants to join us can do it with us again 
But why do we do it? Because God, God asked us to. It was God's will. Second, because we were receptive to God. We heard God speak to us. That's part of doing God's will. You've got to hear Him speak. Got to be open to him. He, if you're willing to do what he asks you to do, he will speak to you. And then thirdly, I suppose because God willed me to ask Wayne and to announce it in church. And the reality is you tell somebody you're going to be at church all, and pray all night long and people think, well, that's, that's a crazy thing to do. That sounds pretty extreme. How are you going to do that? It sounds pretty wild. And yet God gives us the will to speak up and to do those things and... Um, I shared it with Wayne. And, and you know, here's the reality. If you asked Wayne, Wayne would say that it was a pretty awesome night. It was a pretty amazing night. It was really pretty incredible. Can't really describe the night. But there are things God will ask us to do and sometimes they may seem crazy and they may seem like they take a lot of faith. They may seem really extreme. Are we able and willing to say, sure, whatever you want me to do, Lord, I will do. Not whatever. But whatever you want me to do, Lord, I'm yours, and I will do it. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, I just thank you for this message today, what it meant to me going through this, what it means to me in my own life. As I examine my own life, as we all examine our lives and say, are we pursuing God's will? Do we want what you want? Um, are we willing to let you do whatever you want to do in our life? And Are we aware that you have a will for us and you are willing us to do that will? You are, you are willing us to go and, and, and to push forward and, and to do whatever it is you ask of us. Lord, I pray that each person here today, as we go home, you won't let us go easily today. I pray today that you're going to pester each one of us, that you're going to knock on our heart. You're going to say, okay, this is what we need to talk about. I pray that each one of us here can get alone with you and our Bible and maybe these, these questions here even and, and work them out. And we can figure out, what is it, Lord, you want to do in my life? What is your will for my life? What are you, what are you, what are you doing that I just need to let you do it? And then I will know the joy. The joy that Jesus knew when he went to the cross and came out the other side, triumphing over sin and death and hell. Father God, thank you for today. I, I pray for everybody's, just your grace and your peace on everybody as they leave here today, as they go to their homes. Go with them. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you.